What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the senior market analyst at UTXO Management. He also writes a newsletter with Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, on-chain metrics. We talk about Bitcoin's price, the market structure, and what to expect in the coming weeks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. Today's episode is brought to you by Brave. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage NFTs, even connect other wallets and dApps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Again, go download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Today's episode is sponsored by the Bitcoin 2022 conference. Bitcoin 2022 is the largest Bitcoin event in the world that takes place April 6th through the 9th in Miami Beach, Florida. All four days will be jam-packed with exclusive content, exciting announcements, and an incredible lineup of Bitcoin speakers, artists, and leaders. Day one is industry day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build a business or career within the ecosystem. Days two and three are general conference days featuring speakers like El Salvador President Nayib Bukele, CEOs like Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Maulers, Adam Back, and hundreds more. The conference caps off on the fourth day with the world's first and largest Bitcoin music festival, Sound Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic, featuring artists K-Flay, Mo, Royal, and The Serpent, Apache, Asadi, and more. Stay tuned for the upcoming lineup announcement. Last year's conference sold out, and this year's is on pace to be three times larger, so make sure you grab your tickets before it's too late. Visit b.tc slash conference to learn more. Again, that's b.tc slash conference to learn more. Ticket prices increase on January 14th. Use promo code POMP for 10% off, and I will see you in Miami. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our friend Dylan LeClaire, he's back. Dylan, what's up, buddy? Hey guys, how are we doing today? We're doing fantastic. How are you? Never been better. 
All right, Bitcoin's price climbing up. How uh, how are you feeling market sentiment wise right now? As uh, as it feels like there's chaos across the world, feels like Bitcoin may be the uh, the signal and the noise. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think too much has changed uh, since our last convo. Uh, still, kind of the similar backdrop. I mean, there's three things that I look at, uh, like from a market standpoint. There's the macro, which is the big driver right now. But from the Bitcoin standpoint, there's the kind of the supply dynamics, which we can see with the on-chain stuff. And then there's the derivative stuff, which is kind of the speculate, like the speculation, the leverage in the system. And so really, you know, from those two fronts, the, the on-chain supply side dynamics and the derivatives, the, the markets look really, really healthy. And so, you know, bullish for a long time. It's just this macro backdrop, the uncertainty and the kind of liquidity tied of the legacy system is really what's making the difference right now. I, uh, I think that's a great way to kind of frame it. Let's start with uh, the charts you have. Uh, Bitcoin balance on exchanges just continues to fall off a cliff. Uh, what's your read on this? Obviously, that seems to be pretty bullish, but how are you viewing this? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously a really good trend to see from just, uh, from just an adoption standpoint and, you know, the, the not your keys, not your coins uh, concept is really taking hold. I think a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's happened geopolitically uh, in 2022 has been a big advertisement for self-sovereignty and, and holding your own money. You know, obviously uh, not everyone is a, a nation invading another nation or, uh, you know, living, <laughs> living under a dictatorship or, or whatever, where, you know, you're at, you're going to have your money seized, but, just the principles of being able to control your own money is something that doesn't really exist uh, within many other things or really at all um, in the sense that, you know, Bitcoin's Bitcoin's network is completely censorship resistant. And so uh, this is a really good trend to see. Uh, and I kind of expect this to continue just kind of chipping away at, at new lows. I think we're at uh, almost four year lows here. Absolutely. And I think it only is going to continue. Talk to me about the Bitcoin long term holder relative supply as you look at this. Yeah, so this is just, uh, we can kind of see, we can quantify long-term and short-term holders. Uh, and if we remove the exchange balances from this metric, uh, what we can see from the circulating supply, rather, uh, we can see relative as a percentage long-term or short-term holder supply. And so when we kind of see exchange balances falling at the same time as this long-term holder supply is is kind of in this like supply squeeze threshold, right? It's like near that, it's above 80% uh, if, I'm, if I'm seeing it right here. Um, I should I should know this off the top of my head, but uh, this is kind of at, at the level where you start to see if there's any really marginal like you know amount of inflows into the market. And obviously, at a higher market cap, it takes more more money to really move up the price in a, in a significant way. But what we're seeing here is that the circulating supply, or rather that that free float supply that's available to be purchased, is just really really low. So when the inflows come back into the market, and this has kind of been I've been repeating myself here for a couple of months, and Price has just been ranging around, but at the same time, under the surface, the amount of Bitcoin that's able to be purchased, you know, the the, hot, the stackers, the hodlers under the surface, continue to just buy. And so, you know, when the big Wall Street funds, when when anybody that doesn't have exposure and is somehow sitting at zero wants to come in and secure their slice, well, they're going to have to bid up the price in, in a pretty big way. That's the beauty of this whole game, my friend, is that the Bitcoiners are not selling their Bitcoin for forty two thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Uh, when you look at the illiquid supply shock ratio, this thing has just been taking off. What's this telling you? Yeah, so looking at long-term holder supply, that just measures the days uh, or how long a coin's been held. The liquid supply, we can do a pretty cool thing where we can, with like wallet heuristics, we can basically quantify how likely an entity is is to spend their Bitcoin. And so uh, a liquid supply is quantified as the least likely cohort to spend. Um, so this is basically just taking a ratio of, of illiquid coins to liquid or highly liquid coins. And so we can kind of see 
Um, and there's this trend shift that I didn't capture in the in the image, but historically this this ratio was trending down the whole time as supply issuance continued uh, to basically increase that circulating supply faster uh, than you know coins would be quantified as a liquid. But in 2020, whether it was COVID or the halving, or I think a combination of both, we started to see that illiquid supply outpace the, the new issuance or that the new coins coming into circulation. And so this ratio has been bending upwards as a result. And there's a pretty pretty nice correlation to price, um, which, you know, correlation, causation, who knows. But what this is telling you is that free float um, quantified by the likelihood of, of these entities to ever spend their coins again is, is really just bending upwards. And so just kind of another cool way to, to look at and visualize the supply side dynamics. When you start to look at the futures market, you talked a little bit earlier about like open interest and everything. Uh, you've got this chart here as a percent of market cap. What is this showing? Yeah, so uh, 2021, we saw, you know, kind of exaggerated tops, exaggerated bottoms. Uh, and really it was, it was, a lot of it was driven um, or maybe exacerbated by the derivative market. And so this is just the open interest uh, as a percent of market cap. And you could see kind of at the top of the range, you got like the open interest was 2% of that market cap. And so um, that was, those were near the tops. And then, you know, at the bottoms or, uh, you know, like say in, in July, we saw open interest really, really increase at the same time as uh, there was a really strong short bias. So derivatives, they're not something that, you know, maybe the, the super long-term investor really even has to care about. But when you're looking at these shorter term price moves and, and why these, you know, s- sudden volatility events occur, it's, it's most always kind of driven by the derivative market and the, and the positioning of those participants. Yeah. It's fascinating to kind of see how in compared to the historical uh, numbers uh, where we are there. When you look at the perpetual uh, futures funding rate, I know this is another thing that you've looked at in the past. What, what's this showing? Yeah. It's just kind of a, kind of a, a dead zone in terms of, you know, speculation, which is a good thing, right? Um, you can see in, in early 2021 um, market participants were paying an outrageous amount to, to go leverage along Bitcoin. So, at certain points, at uh, say at, at 0.1%, they're paying. Uh, I believe it's it's somewhere around like 100% annualized, and it wasn't obviously a super long period of time. But at 0.1%, that's a periodic funding rate that occurs every uh, three times a day. So you just do run the numbers there. It's around 100% annualized. They're paying to leverage long Bitcoin right now. It's around it's around 5%. And so it's really just that's kind of a neutral market rate. And, and oftentimes for the last couple of months. Uh, that's been somewhat negative. And you see, it, say, at the bottom uh, in July of 2021, you saw that that funding rate was negative, meaning that that shorts were paying long to enter positions. So you can kind of see there's like this, you know, it's very volatile, but it's kind of like a cost of capital for margin uh, in the in the Bitcoin derivatives market. And this often has a, had a pretty strong correlation with, with price because it's traders, it's sentiment, uh, and oftentimes Bitcoin is reflexive in the way it trades. Stable coin ratios. What, what are you seeing here with the stable coins, uh, given the current market conditions and Bitcoin kind of grinding up here over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of cool things that, that I'm seeing here is one, the, the amount of stable coins in the market uh, continues to increase. So the stable coin supply ratio, when it's trending down, it means that the, the amount of stable coins relative to the Bitcoin market cap is increasing. Okay, so that's one. Two, there's kind of these, these Bollinger bands in this chart. And it's just a cool way of kind of um, just showing the the relative change in the trend. And so these Bollinger Bands, when it's at the top of the band, it's saying, hey, maybe Bitcoin's a little pricey relative to the, you know, kind of dry powder on the, on the crypto sidelines. And when it's at the bottom of these Bollinger Bands, it's saying, hey, there's a lot of dry powder relative to the Bitcoin market cap. So, you know, two trends is that one, the, the amount of stable coins, and we're seeing stuff like algorithmic stable coins, you have custodials, uh, centralized stable coins like USDC, USDT. Um, and I think that continues to grow. 
Um, but two is that kind of just recently uh, we're at the lower range here where there's saying, hey, despite Bitcoin maybe pumping a little bit off the lows off, what is it, 32 last month in February, uh, there's still a ton of dry powder on the sidelines um, that, you know, could could FOMO and, and really pump this price up. Yeah, it's it's uh, a huge, huge piece of the market. And then, of course, we I can't let you uh, not show the chart of uh, the 10-year Treasury yield. I feel like every week we just keep looking at this thing and uh, we've got the 10-year Treasury yield and then we've got the 10-year, two-year yield curve, uh, which is just bending downward aggressively. What's going on here? Yeah, I never thought uh, I never thought I'd be looking at bonds as much as I have <laughs> been recently. But yeah, it's a, it's a big story. So uh, I think Raul Powell calls this the chart of truth. Basically, this 30, 40 year trend of bond yields, uh, debt demographics, all pushing these yields lower for longer. But we still have kind of been in this range, this trend. Um, and so now I think we really might see a test of this trend, right? We have inflation coming in at multi decade highs. CPI probably hits double digits here in the coming month or months. Uh, and then this yield curve, right? Why does yield curve matter? Well, it matters because in the current legacy system and in the, in the financial system, Creditors, banks, they they borrow uh, short to lend long. So when yields, when when the kind of the yield curve uh, inverts, when when uh, short dated yields have have or short dated bonds rather have higher yields than long dated bonds, um, well, there's there's liquidity issues and it, and it kind of predates really every recession. So we've seen multiple kind of yields yields flip, whether it's 30s and fives or tens and twos haven't flipped quite yet, but it's flattening in a really aggressive way um, because of this inflationary print. Uh, these prints that we're seeing. Uh, and so I think really this is one of the things I'm watching. Uh, and I think honestly, uh, because of what we're seeing in energy prices, because of what we're seeing in credit markets, uh, Bitcoin could relatively outperform for a little bit. But I think the generational bottom comes uh, when we see kind of the panic and, and volatility and liquidity event uh, that'll come in, in the legacy s- system where, you know, Powell will inevitably be, I'm sorry, stumbled my words, Powell will inevitably be forced to pivot. Uh, and that's when it gets kind of crazy. Joe, John, what questions you guys got? Dylan, what's going on, man? Uh, what are you doing? Good. My question is just around um, Terra and, and Terra's Luna buying <clears throat> Bitcoin, right? So they they've come out and said they're going to buy ten billion ten billion dollars of Bitcoin. I believe. I think they've already done a hundred and something, hundred and twenty five million or something like that. What impact do you think this has, if any? Yeah, it's a very interesting <laughs> dynamic. I've been I've been kind of looking into how it works. Um, and it's an interesting idea. I, I don't know how sustainable it is. A lot of this stablecoin growth uh, with UST is uh, basically incentivized by the 20% yield that this protocol spits off, the anchor protocol. And so I think total stablecoin supply for UST is around 15 billion. Uh, and then they're taking that, the, that UST, selling it for uh, Tether, and then they're going and buying Bitcoin. So obviously, a pretty, I mean, it would be a pretty big driver. There's not a lot of liquidity, a lot of sell side liquidity. So, you know, 3 billion, uh, uh, Do Kwon, the, the kind of the founder of this protocol is saying, you know, they hope to make it 10 billion eventually. Uh, that would make an impact, but it's just a matter of, you know, do they have to unwind that <laughs> eventually? And, and to be honest, I, I don't know the answer there, um, but it's just definitely a very strong narrative. And, you know, maybe we see this as kind of the start of, of a new catalyst, but I, I, I don't have a definitive uh, answer there. John, what do you got? Dylan, you started this conversation off by talking about how not much has changed in the last week. So when weeks like this go by, how do you rank things on a important scale? So for hash rate, for um, Bitcoin on exchanges, for whales buying, like how do you rate all this stuff? Yeah, so I mean, I think definitely a lot has changed, uh, but more so kind of just speaking about how I like my framework for thinking about the Bitcoin market. 
um, I, I put out uh, kind of a detailed thread on my thoughts in, in December and was just with some on-chain stuff in the macro backdrop saying, um, you know, I think that the driver is going to be really the, the Fed being, and I didn't see their Ukraine-Russia conflict coming up in the, you know, the second order effects with commodity markets, obviously, uh, but just with how inflation was running and what the bond market was kind of saying, it was, uh, I think we're in kind of an accumulation phase and Bitcoin most likely just probably chops around for a little bit. I mean, th- this is nothing out of the ordinary for Bitcoin with, you know, we have these accumulation markets, everyone kind of forgets about it, the speculators and and kind of the visitors in the market just completely leave and forget about it. And meanwhile, the people that have conviction under the surface just increase their stack, they build, uh, and the infrastructure uh, kind of in the system is, is stronger and more resilient than ever. And so I think that's where we are. Um, the, the Really, the driver of since, since 2020, as Bitcoin's become this macro asset, has been this excess liquidity, real yields lower than they've ever been. Uh, and now the bond market's starting to say, hey, this inflation's not transitory and, and something's wrong. And so, you know, the money is no longer free, although it, it kind of still still feels like it for a lot of participants. And I think uh, the, the event that comes where people realize that maybe, hey, this fiat money, while still being really cheap, isn't entirely free and everyone kind of panic sells and then comes to realize, wait, the system isn't sustainable at all. Uh, and the Fed comes in and interjects again, which who knows when that timeline comes. It could be this quarter. It could be this year. It could be maybe 2023. Um, and that's that's when I think Bitcoin really outperforms. I kind of feel like a, a broken record there uh, in terms of, you know, price action itself. But, you know, Bitcoin is in a position stronger than ever uh, to kind of come out as, as a winner in this environment. Dylan, when you start to think about uh, the price grinding up here, Bitcoin's up like a approximately 25% since the start of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Also, uh, we're starting to see more and more uh, folks realize that, hey, the lack of uh, censorship, the lack of seizorship, et cetera, is uh, pretty important. We see the stable coins. We see Bitcoin coming off of the exchanges. Is this leading us to a potential massive uh, kind of price squeeze upwards where we'll see some uh, pretty large volatility if there's any sort of catalyst uh, to the situation that's been laid out here? Yeah, so I mean, everything I kind of view with with this market is probabilistic. So like there's definitely a a probability that kind of we see a recession, we see all of this stuff in legacy markets, we see bonds selling off, equities stalling, and Bitcoin could break all-time highs. I mean, that's not my base case. But, but it's certainly not out of the question, just with all of the kind of uh, the, the, the catalyst that we're seeing and, and the new uh, proponents of Bitcoin, uh, whether they like it or not, realizing that there's no other alternative. Um, so while I still think we're going to see somewhat of a consolidation, and I think that denominator of BTC USD is kind of is leading the charge right now, uh, where, you know, periods of time we see BTC, the numerator is really that, that narrative and that adoption is driving the price action. I think the the dollar strength, even though even though the dollar is is politically programmed to debase, uh, it is the world reserve currency, and it is uh, I've I've heard people refer to it as the cleanest of all the dirty shirts. So it is still the strongest fiat currency, uh, and I expect the dollar to to outperform a lot of these other fiats. And so what that means is financial conditions will will probably materially continue to tighten. Uh, and so for that reason, I'm just ca- cautiously optimistic about the price. Would it surprise me to see all-time highs this quarter? Absolutely not. Uh, and that's why I've continued to, to say I, I own more Bitcoin than ever. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, if we continue to just chop around and you know agonize Bitcoin, Twitter, crypto, Twitter, it wouldn't surprise me either. So just you know, cautiously, cautiously optimistic here. 
but excited to see how it all plays out with the legacy system and, and these credit markets that continue to sell off. I couldn't say it better. I feel like uh, um, we're watching this all unfold in slow motion. It's like the same story over and over and over again. You watch the supply, uh, circulating supply become more and more illiquid. You start to see all the stablecoin movements. You start to see the macro environment, all this stuff. Bam, catalyst, lights on fire, takes off, and all these Wall Street losers are sitting there scratching <laughs> their head, asking themselves, like, why'd that happen? And it's literally the same thing over and over and over again. I say Wall Street losers, I'm joking. Uh, but the, the idea being that uh, they're evaluating these assets based on old models, old frameworks, and they're not using the data points that are now available that previously weren't, like the on-chain metrics uh, and, and data like that, that tells a completely different story than what you would use from a valuation framework or something like that. Yeah, they're, they're not going to understand why Bitcoin 10X is right after the, the Fed kind of flips and and you know turns on the spigots again uh but you know we're gonna we're gonna know why because there's just not all that much supply to bid right so when everybody runs back into the trade right because i think there's a there's definitely a good chance that the whole the whole kind of qe forever yield curve control like fed liquidity everywhere kind of event i think that that'll happen again it's a matter of when and they're gonna say oh what happened last time oh bitcoin outperformed everything Oh, Bitcoin's an order of magnitude higher than it was trading last last liquidity crisis. Oh, maybe I need some. <laughs> and so, you know, while we're just saying, you know, in our echo chamber saying orange coin good every day, uh, these guys don't care anymore. And it's just kind of funny to see. I love it. All right. Where can we send people to find you on the Internet or uh, subscribe to the newsletter? Yeah, uh, you can just find me on Twitter, like always. Uh, right. The, the deep dive with Bitcoin magazine. Uh, getting a re- getting a rebrand there soon, uh, so to be announced. But uh, it's pretty fresh. Um, but we kind of cover this these uh, sort of metrics every day, so just you can uh, find me there. You're killing it, my friend. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday, and uh, hopefully it. between now and then the trends continue because uh, looking pretty uh, pretty bullish right now. Love it. Peace, guys. Later, buddy. See you, man. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.